session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Jalakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra. Studio number to call in, 310-441-0555. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, so you can call in with any questions related to clinical psychology, including any emotional or psychological issues, parenting issues, and relationship issues as well. You can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram, or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show, or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Again, studio number 310-441-0555. The book of the week for this week is Prepared by Diane Taverner. Prepared, What Kids Need for a Fulfilled Life. And actually, before I bought the book, I thought it was about parenting, but uh, she herself is an educator, and the advice in the book does seem to be for both educators and parents in general, just giving an understanding of what can help get our kids ready and our teens ready to live a fulfilled life. And the author, Diane Tavender, is in education and has developed these schools, I think it's called Summit Schools, that uh, are doing exactly that, trying to prepare kids for the future. So looking forward to reading the rest of that and sharing it with you on Monday night's show. Um, Also wanted to announce just recently, uh, I was contacted by the uh, Middle Eastern Student Association at UCLA. And tomorrow night, Thursday, May 14th on Zoom, I'm going to be on a call with another mental health professional, Monica Mikhail. Uh, and we're going to be talking about mental health in the Middle Eastern community. It's going to be a question and answer type of format from 7.30 p.m. to 9 p.m. So that's tomorrow, Thursday, May 14th. I'll post the flyer. I just got it shortly before the show. I'll post it on my uh, social media later this afternoon. Check it out. You can join the call tomorrow night. I also wanted to announce Parham, my brother. I was very proud of him. He was on Maz Jabrani's podcast back to school, uh, talking about conspiracy theories and why we believe in certain things, especially with everything going on around COVID-19. And so he was on Maj Jabrani's podcast. Um, I think they recorded last week, but it just went up yesterday. So it's the back to school podcast, Maj Jabrani's podcast. Hope you'll check that out. All right. I'm starting today's show. I wanted to talk about a topic that comes up from time to time. Uh, when I uh, discuss relationships, and that is two very powerful words, or really one of them is a contraction, so it's three words, but I'm sorry, Uh, apologies. Because in order to have healthy relationships, we need to be able to express and acknowledge apologies and wrongdoing, or even taking a step back, when you have any kind of relationship, but especially a close relationship, there are going to be things that happen that come up where you are going to hurt one another or you get hurt. Now, hopefully these are not intentionally uh, uh, instances where you're trying to hurt your partner or hurt the other person, but inevitably it's going to happen in any relationship. Sometimes something's going to happen. You did something, you say something, or you didn't do something or didn't say something, and that's going to hurt the other person. And it's so important for us 
to be able to acknowledge what we have done and to apologize. Related to this topic, the book I discussed Monday night, The Culture Code uh, by Daniel Coyle. I really thought it was interesting looking at different groups, um, organizations, teams that have a good culture and have been very successful. And he looked at what about those cultures uh, might have contributed to their success. And he found some shared characteristics that they all seem to have. There was three of them. Um, there was, uh, uh, let's see, creating safety, sharing that safety feeling, sharing uh, vulnerability, and then creating purpose in some way. Um, so the one that was interesting and related to this is the vulnerability piece. And you would see these leaders of companies, and sometimes we think the leader should be so strong and powerful and confident and decisive, which they probably need to be in some ways, but we sometimes think that's that ends with saying they're wrong, saying they made a mistake, or apologizing to someone or to the team for something they did. But what he found, Daniel Coyle, the author of that book, was that in these really successful companies and teams and corporations, they had leaders that weren't afraid to say, I made a mistake. And not only that, they did that not just so they would acknowledge mistakes and wrongdoing, but to make that part of the culture that we can say, I messed up, I'm sorry. Uh, even actually, if we look at some companies that have had really bad uh, fraud cases or melted down in some way, Enron comes to mind and other investment banks and other companies that do investments. Sometimes what happened was someone made some small mistake or they made an error, but because of the cutthroat culture and because it didn't feel safe to acknowledge a mistake, they tried to cover it up and they were hiding it. And then the mistake became bigger and bigger until it became something insurmountable and even take has taken down companies before so we see that actually we need to have that space to acknowledge mistakes acknowledge wrongdoing in order to maintain healthy relationships healthy dynamics and even to do good work we need to be able to say okay i'm not sure this was right let me check with that and for the other side to be able to say i don't think that's right we need to have that candor and that openness that I can tell you if I don't think something is good or I have some feedback, that we need to be able to have that back and forth. Now, bringing this to the domain of relationships, uh, apologies are something that is so powerful. When people come to therapy and they're trying to heal emotional and relational wounds from the past, what I always know is that I, of course, will try to help them deal with the pain First, internally, what they're going through, their own experience, their own pain, understanding that better, trying to uh, make that a little bit less over time, also involves looking at the person who hurt them, trying to understand them, and eventually getting to the point uh, of forgiving that person, and then also at times forgiving themselves for either uh, what they thought they could have done or should have done or ways they wish they handled it differently. But there's many steps in that process. However, I always know that what would help this person the most when they are hurt by someone is for that person who hurt them to acknowledge their wrongdoing. If they were to say, I am sorry that I hurt you, that is almost always the quickest way to start to heal an emotional wound is that person themselves telling you, I'm sorry. And unfortunately, we don't always get that. 
even if the person is alive and we're in contact with them, some people won't acknowledge wrongdoing. They won't be open to seeing our side of things if we feel hurt or felt that they did something we didn't like. And so you might not ever get that. And of course, sometimes you're not in a relationship with that person, so you don't talk to them or they are no longer alive. So of course, you can't actually have that conversation with them. And very often we're left to deal with that pain on our own, which you can do. But again, it's never going to be uh, as efficient or um, as intense as far as the quickness of the healing as if the person were to tell you that they did something wrong. And so I was thinking about this and how important it is for us to get that from the other person. And there's lots of reasons that this is probably the case. Uh, one is, of course, the person who hurt us is also the person that can heal us the most in the same way. Someone else can tell us, I'm sorry, that person did that or they were you know, stupid, or they were this, or they're a bad person, or whatever they try to say to make us feel better. But it's never going to be as good as hearing it from the person. You know what? I made a mistake, and I'm sorry. And we even see this with strangers. I often use the example that if you're driving, and someone cuts you off and does something you don't like, if they give you that hand signal of, I'm sorry, you know, I made a mistake, we almost always quickly feel much better. And if they give us another hand signal saying, you know, screw you, we're of course gonna get even more angry. But even if they say nothing and go off, we sometimes will feel more angry uh, that much more so than if we got an acknowledgement that they did wrong. And it's an interesting case because usually if you're driving, let's say in a city like Los Angeles, right now there's not as many cars in the road, but let's say in general, if someone cuts you off and goes, you're probably never gonna see that person again, or most, almost definitely you won't, or even remember, you didn't even get a look at the person's face, maybe you saw the car, but you're probably never gonna interact with that person again. So there isn't this actual feeling of, you know what, I have to make things right between me and them, so that in future encounters, they don't do that to me again. Uh, but we know that our brains are wired to live in groups where we do know everyone and interact with everyone again. Maybe we, our group size is something like 150 people. But in general, we know that our brains are wired to assume we will have repeated interactions with people. And this is why even in experiments, when people do something unfair, let's say they do some type of um, prisoner's dilemma or some kind of game where you have to split money. And if someone does something that we think is unfair, sometimes we punish them, even if it punishes us too, because we think that it's not fair what they did and we need to punish that wrongdoing. And sometimes just for the sake of punishing the wrongdoer, even if it costs us too, we find that people do it. So we do seem to have this sense that when things are not right, we have to make them right probably related to the fact that when someone does something wrong, we think that that could happen to us again. So that's one part of it. And another part is I think it gives us a sense that the world is fair, that you know what, when people do something like that, it's not okay. So if they acknowledge it's not okay, so you feel a pain, and if the person acknowledges it's not okay, it can give you a more comforting feeling that that didn't feel good, but there is fairness in this world or people will recognize that what they did was not okay or that thing they just did is not okay. So I don't have to worry about it happening again. But if they don't say anything, you have this unfinished business that you don't feel good about what just happened. But on top of that, you have this feeling that does this mean people will just do this thing 
I'll keep getting hurt in this way. And that also doesn't feel good. And so that's going to carry with it some more bad feeling of this unsettled thing. And we try to almost write that wrong. And you could feel that way. You're trying to make things fair, make things just in some type of way. So now coming back to the domain of a relationship, this is another part of why it's so important for us to get those apologies and those acknowledgements from our partners and people that we're close with, family members, friends, whoever it might be. Because in this case, you are interacting with each other again and again. So whatever the person did that hurt you, you're feeling that pain. And so you're still dealing with that pain. And that is very big itself. But then on top of that, it's that sense that, okay, if you did this, are you going to do it again? Do I have to worry about getting hurt in this way? And that's why if the person says, oh, you know what? I'm sorry for what I did. That first can address some of that pain in the moment and give you that validation. And then secondly, I don't want to do that again. I don't want to hurt you in this way. And that gives us a little bit of that peace of mind of the going forward. I won't be hurt in this way again by this person. They realize it was wrong and they won't want to do it again or they're making a commitment not to do that again. And so in this way, uh, I, I've talked about this before, but I did it in a different path. We see some of the uh, components of good apologies, of saying sorry, really meaning it, and really having an effect. What I've often talked about is when people apologize, they aren't apologizing for the person they hurt. They're apologizing just to get rid of their own guilt, that bad feeling. And you even can sense it in how they're apologizing that it's not about the person they're apologizing to, it's about themselves. And they say things like, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Okay, it's good, you're not mad anymore, we're okay. And so there's this pressure that the other person is supposed to forgive them. And it's more about getting forgiveness than genuinely apologizing, expressing regret and remorse and trying to repair what has happened. So if we make a genuine apology, we are first of all acknowledging our wrongdoing and it's always best to do it in a way where you just acknowledge your side. Very often when people apologize, they blame the other person, essentially saying what I did was a reaction to the wrong thing you did. Or almost I had no other choice but to do what I did because of what you originally did. And that's not an apology. To say I said those mean things to you because you're such a, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, then you're not really apologizing for what you're saying. You're actually getting mad at them for something else. And there might be space for that conversation later on in a bigger uh, scope of things. But in that moment, if you're really trying to apologize, you want to focus on what you did that hurt that person. So you acknowledge what you did and then also express that you understand how it could have hurt them or how it hurt their feelings. That must not have felt good for you. I can see how that was hurtful. I can see how that made you feel X, Y, and Z. And of course, you might want to check in with them to get a better sense of what they felt. You even would likely want to ask them how they felt so you better understand it. So we have those components. But then you also, of course, want to show you feel bad about what you did. And because of that, you don't want to do that thing again. And so I'm dedicating myself to not doing that anymore. I don't want to hurt you in this way. I recognize it was wrong. So I'm committed to not doing that thing anymore. And a very important part of apologies related to 
um, having that mindset that it's about the other person, not about you, is that you give the person's time and space to process that apology and to heal. And maybe they'll forgive you, but you're not going to rush them to give you forgiveness to say, okay, I did all the apology parts. Now you should say it's okay. You know, it takes time. When, when we really get hurt, it does depend, of course, on how deeply we were hurt, what happened, all sorts of factors like that. But when you're hurt by someone, it doesn't mean you're going to instantly feel good. You might even recognize, you know, you said sorry, and that actually does make me feel better. But I still need some time with this, or it's still fresh, or whatever it might be, that you'll need some time. And, and I hope that if you're the one giving the apology, you'll recognize that and give them space and recognize, yes, I, I understand. It could take some time and I want to give you that time. And it doesn't mean this is the last conversation we're having about this topic that I said, sorry, and it's done. And so again, when it's about our own forgiveness and we don't want to talk about this thing that makes us feel bad, we sometimes say, well, I said, sorry, that's it. I already said, sorry. And people say that they say, well, I said, sorry. So what are we talking about still? And just saying the words, I'm sorry, doesn't mean you made a genuine apology. And it doesn't mean the issue has been resolved and does not need to be talked about anymore. So I think when you look at any close relationship, there are these unrepaired uh, damage that has been done from things that people did that were not addressed. And if you want to be a good partner, a good parent, a good friend, family member, whatever it is, you're going to have to be ready to acknowledge and apologize for the things that you do. And acknowledging wrongdoing doesn't make you bad actually not acknowledging things that we do that are wrong will make us much worse and recognizing that we're not perfect we're not going to be perfect and of course we're going to hurt one another so it's okay for these things to happen they're going to happen what's actually important is not if they happen it's what we do when they happen when someone gets hurt how do we respond to that do we try to ignore it pretend like it didn't happen hope that we'll just forget about it or are we willing to do the hard thing acknowledge what happened and talk about it and get to a better place. And I hope people will see that the importance of having these conversations is like getting rid of the dirt and the debris in some space to keep a clean connection, to keep a clean relationship. And if we don't address them, they don't go away. They tend to just get worse. Let's go to a commercial break. Studio number to call in 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Delaqui. We'll be right back. Studio number 3104410555. Let's go to a caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Hello. Yes, go ahead. Yes, I'm okay. How are you? Good, thank you. Thanks for calling. Yeah, good. Uh, thank you so much for taking my call. It's a pleasure sure. to speak with you. And uh, just had a, a kind of a quick question, uh, I guess, or an advice, if you will. Um, I have uh, I've basically played sports, uh, mainly soccer, pretty much all my life. I'm, I'm 34 years old. I started playing when I was about six years old, as far as I can remember, um, first time I actually played. Um, unfortunately, many years of playing um, kind of took, to- took its toll on me, and about four years ago, I started having a lot of uh, knee pain, um, 
just a, a unilateral meeting, I guess, uh, if you will. And uh, after seeing some specialists and taking MRIs and whatnot, I um, I was told that I have uh, knee arthritis and I need a partial knee replacement. Um, and uh, nonetheless, uh, it's it's been a struggle. This was about four years ago, just kind of dealing with the chronic pain, uh, but mainly just the inability to uh, to play sports and play soccer. I've always been sort of active and um, you know playing outdoors and, and doing outdoorsy, I guess, activities and whatnot. Um, and I feel like just over the last four years, not being able to do that kind of stuff has really took its toll. Mainly just mentally, not not being able to sort of have that interaction with other people through soccer and, um, and you know, just sort of with nature and what have you. So um, what I've come to realize, my wife and I actually moved to another state um, where, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of access to outdoor stuff just because of the climates and the weather here. Um, and I've noticed that I felt like I'm missing the state I used to live. I kind of feel like it was home, I guess. And I feel like I'm missing it a lot, but uh, we, we kind of differ in terms of where we want to live. She doesn't like living there, and I do. And I feel like just a combination of what's going on with, with my knee injury and kind of missing home, it's, it's kind of been a struggle trying to figure out what's the best decision in terms of whether to stay and, and whether to move. Um, and uh, we, we are pretty different and, uh, and uh, far apart in terms of our, our ability to kind of I guess, come to a, a, a medium um, in terms of just finding a place to live. Just wanted to kind of get your take and, and have a better understanding of whether or not, you know, making the right decision and trying to maybe force a move back home, uh, knowing that my wife is not really um, happy about it or she wouldn't be happy about it, um, or if I should just kind of, I guess, find another place, like a neutral place, I guess, we both could be happier and, and I wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't be an issue long term. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, there's a lot you brought up, but one of the themes and a lot of what you said was the feeling of loss, um, you know, losing your, not a, a complete ability, but to be able to be active in the same way and play soccer and missing both the physical side, but also you said the mental and like the social side and being outside. And then you moved and that was a loss for you as well. To, to be in a place where it seems like you're not as happy, but your wife is. And of course, ideally, we'd like to always want the same things as our partners, but we're not going to always have that. That's not always going to be the case. And we do have to sometimes find compromises um, and compromise isn't always going to be split the difference. You know, you can't just move halfway between where you are now and where you guys used to live um, because that's not going to really solve much. Sometimes even our compromises are doing what one person wants and the other person can learn to accept it and be okay with it. And so I, I don't know what's the right thing here to say, no, you definitely should move back or you definitely should stay. It's not going to be that black and white, but it's going to be something that you and your wife have to obviously communicate together about. Now, going back to the sports thing, um, you know, it's understandable that it's causing this feeling for you, this uh, pain, the physical pain, but also this emotional type of pain as well. And, you know, when people lose that ability, that doesn't feel good. But you mentioned the social side, and especially for men, it, there's a lot of research related to loneliness. And for men, 
they tend to not be as good. This is, of course, a stereotype, but what the research shows as a generality is in staying in touch with one another. So keeping friendships where they catch up and talk and really stay close in that way. Women tend to be better at this, at staying in touch, having the conversations, and they can get to that connection could stay. Whereas oftentimes it's found that men, when they have a shared activity, for example, weekly soccer, weekly basketball, weekly poker, card nights, that helps them maintain that closeness better and less likely to fall into the trap of loneliness. So um, th there is some losses that you had there, both the physical and it must be fun to play, seeing anytime we see a loss in our ability in some way. So if you're not capable of physically doing what you could do, let's say five years ago, uh, because of the knee pain and uh, injuries that you're going through, that's not going to feel good, of course. Um, and so with loss does come a bad feeling, it doesn't feel good, but we also have to try to see if we can achieve some kind of acceptance. And so if we look at the move, it seems like you haven't, you don't want to go to acceptance because you don't know if you should accept it. You're not sure if you actually should try to move back. With the knee stuff, I don't know, you know, they said there maybe you could do partial replacement and these types of things. I don't know what the uh, prognosis is, recovery, you know, do you have to accept that you'll never play the way you did before? Maybe you could play, but not at that level, let's say. And so you might have to accept some of those things. And so it does seem like the acceptance of the changes has been hard for you and it's taking a toll. Caller, are you still there? Yeah, I'm still, yeah. I'm still here. I'm so sorry. No, 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 yeah. I, I can sure. actually barely hear you. I'm not sure if it's my oh. connection or... Okay. Uh, I'll try to speak louder. Might be the problem. Okay. Yeah, I'm go ahead. Yeah, well, you know, I was just, you know, I did share a lot of thoughts. I did want to see what you're, what you're thinking about. I said the, the no, acceptance of what's changing. I, I think yeah. um, I've, I've kind of, I guess in the last four years, I've, I've sort of tried to find that sort of peace with what's, what's happened. And um, it, it's definitely not a case of feeling bad for myself or whatnot. I, I just mm -hmm. feel like I need to adapt sort of uh, to, to, to my situation uh, in terms of my inability to do certain things that I used to do freely or without any physical pain. Uh, but really it's more just what I got from it also just, just mentally, just in terms of it, it was sort of a form of therapy, just being outdoors, mm -hmm. being in nature, playing soccer, being around other people, that connection that um, I had with other people through soccer or my ability to sort of, you know, be physically active and do certain things. And I think just uh, kind of making that connection with perhaps moving back to where, you know, I, I used to live and what I call home in a sense, um, I feel like maybe I will be able to fill some of the voids left, you know, because of this knee injury by being closer to a place that, or living in a place that I call home, that I feel very comfortable and mm -hmm. I feel sort of at peace and, and just, you know, not out of place or not out of touch. Um but, uh, again, the biggest issue is just trying to fill that void with other things. You know, if I can't do this, well, let's adjust and find something else that will, you know, that will kind of fill that void for me. But the biggest issue is just not being able to come to, I guess, an agreement uh, with my spouse where, you know, it's not a situation where if I force a move, she's not going to be happy. But if I, you know, if I go with her else, um, you know, 
other than home, then, you know, the combination of not living in home, not having that connection with people that I grew up with, and uh, not being able to sort of fill that void that not being able to play soccer or do outdoor things has, has left uh, will always stay with me. And I feel like I've kind of become a little bit more frustrated, angry at times. I, I think I've lost a little bit of patience, you know, and I've seen the change, I guess, in myself, unfortunately, and it's not good changes. And I think I'm trying to avoid further damage and, uh, you know, trying to, find a solution, if you will, and, and figure out a solution uh, without making a rash decision and without sort of making it worse, I guess, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, you know, there's the way you talked about it even made it quite clear. You kept saying home as where you used to live, which clearly shows that you don't think where you are now is home or you even are resisting trying to make it feel like home. And so that's going to be an issue. People, this happens even, you know, people immigrate to a new country and they don't want to adapt to it because they don't want to make it their home. But clearly you haven't accepted where you're living now as your home. And so this is itself going to lead to an anger and resentment and just things that you don't like about where you are. You're going to blame them on your wife and you're going to be upset about them. And this is something we see. I even tell parents they sometimes, let's say, are pushing their kids to go to school here versus there, you know, and that the kid doesn't get their choice. And I say you don't want to do that because then when whatever you go to school, you're going to have stresses and then you're going to blame those stresses on the person that pushed you there rather than, um, you know, the stresses of actually going through what's happening. So it does seem like you feel that it was more your wife's, you know, move and want than it was yours. And you definitely have not accepted it as your home. How long have you been in this new state where you moved? Yeah, no, and I just to kind of uh, uh, kind of piggyback on what you just said, that's, you, you actually nailed it on the head. I mean, that's, that's exactly how I feel. And, and honestly, I'll answer your question, uh, but uh, that's, that's exactly kind of what's going through my mind, unfortunately, and I, and I don't like it. I don't, you know, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I love my wife. I obviously, you know, uh, there's a reason we're together and, you know, we're married and, and we're committed to each other, but I, I feel like that is part of it, exactly what you just meant, uh, because it was sort of a forced situation, even mm-hmm. though I agreed to it and I take responsibility for it, but I don't want to be angry with her or have that resentment. I'd rather be somewhere where I can enjoy where I live and also grow with her, obviously, in our relationship and what we're trying to accomplish, you know, with our careers and so on and so forth. But yeah. um, it's actually been five years. So we, we went to a different state uh, in the East Coast. I used to live, um, you know, I used to live in Maine, essentially. That's where I call home. Then we lived to, uh, to a state uh, on the East Coast. And then uh, eventually we came to the West Coast. We're actually in Arizona right now. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's been about five years to answer your question. And, uh, yeah. you know, and, and I honestly, um, just to kind of go back to what you said, I, I feel like I've tried adjusting and I've tried adapting and accepting sort of the fact that I don't live, you know, in Maine and I live somewhere else and I need to make this new place home. Um, it really hasn't been for the lack of trying, um, if I'm being honest. Um, I think it's just the fact that I, I miss a lot of things about home, mm-hmm. especially the connection with people the community, the friends, um, and, I, and I feel like marriage kind of changes that, so I kind of accept it in a way, but um, I feel like just my inability to connect with other people because of the fact that we just live in such a big city and 
a bigger state that, you know, it's, it's a little bit more challenging trying to connect in the same way. Maybe there is a little mm-hmm. bit of resistance on my on my part, too, for sure, but I, I feel like there hasn't been for the lack of trying. Uh, well, I'm sure you've tried. I don't think you just went there and, and didn't try at all and tried to make it, you know, bad only. But the feeling you've described when you say forced, you know, obviously that's a pretty big deal to feel like you were forced to move. And maybe that's how it was. Maybe that's how you felt. But that is obviously going to have an impact on how you experience this new place that you are now in. And in hearing, how, you know, the way you've talked about things, you even mentioned now marriage. Uh, how you, you know, your knee and the, the health you had before, there is this feeling of nostalgia of looking back that life used to be better than it is now. And so, and maybe it is, uh, but maybe there's a lot of things that have changed. Like you even said, getting married, that's going to change life. You're going to have a different social life when you're married as compared to when you were, you know, completely single. And so it's, are you accepting these changes overall in your life pattern. I do think the moving, you you need to get to a better place with that, not necessarily a physical place like you move, but an emotional place internally and with your wife, because if you feel like she forced me to move and I'm unhappy here, I can't imagine that's not going to have an impact on how you feel in general, but also about how you feel about her. And that's going to lead to resentment and negativity there. And even the way you talk about it in this, well, should we move back? You know, you're not really settled in. And if you're not settled in both in the location, it also could reflect on how settled in you are in the relationship and in the marriage that this is my life and accepting what's going on. So I feel this, um, like I said, it's a resistance to change. It doesn't mean you haven't tried. It doesn't mean it, it can't work, but it seems like you are not happy with where you are. And that is important first to acknowledge and then also communicate with your wife and then find some kind of common ground. Uh, it's funny how many of these analogies or these phrases I'm using have you know land or place in them. But find some common ground with your wife where you feel good. And if you stay in Arizona, then that's your home. You'll miss stuff about Maine or wherever else you maybe would have lived. But if you are accepting that, you're saying, I am choosing this for my life, for me and my wife to create our life here. Not that I'm doing her a favor every day I'm here, because if you have that feeling or mindset or I was forced to come here because of her, it's always gonna impact you negatively with her. It's not gonna lead to a me and you are doing this together. It's kind of like you're a prisoner in this place you don't want to be. And that's gonna permeate a lot of things in the relationship. Well, for for sure, and I and I definitely want to avoid that scenario, um, yeah. obviously, and um, and not go down that road. But I, but I think my main, I guess, my main concern is that, um, you know, just trying to fill that void, trying to, uh, mm-hmm. and it hasn't been, you know, I mean, if it was a few months, I would okay. Well, you need more time, obviously, when you move somewhere new, and you have to kind of give it that, you know, um, you know adequate time, I guess, to to adjust and to fit in and to sort of find another community, find, you know, your, your circle of friends and, and what have mm-hmm. you. And I feel like we've kind of struggled to, to do that, unfortunately. And, um, you know, and it's just like, you know, you give a, a new place five years, four years. I feel like in my mind that's, you know, that's adequate time, that's enough time mm-hmm. for something to change for the better where you feel more at home and, you know, you kind of feel more kind of settled in. Um, but, you know, I, I guess, I don't know, I guess I feel like, you know, I don't. I don't want to force a move on her, 
then, you know, she'll be unhappy. And because, you know, we've talked about it. We've definitely had conversations where she's like, I know myself, I'll never be happy living there. And I've always kind of countered that with, well, I'll never be happy somewhere else. And, you know, it, it sounds pretty bad, I, I, I admit, but, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't want to obviously have that conversation back and forth and then the feeling of resentment and anger in yeah. one of us grows towards the other. Um, but, I mean, honestly, well, that's even, that, even the way, you know, even the way you... Sort of big issues, like we get along well, we definitely are committed to, you know, mm-hmm. what we have and what we're kind of embarking on. But I think that's sort of the biggest issue is that, you know, we're just struggling to find that commonplace um mm-hmm. where we're both happy and we can sort of just settle and focus on each other and, and our future together yeah well so I mean, even the way you talk about you know i'll never be happy there i'll never be happy it, it seems like the conversation it's more about trying to win an argument i mean it's hard to say i'll never be happy somewhere um you know at, of course when you first think of going somewhere it always is going to feel less good than your home or where you like to be but there is a dynamic there that seems like you're both trying to win this location battle of where we're going to be. And that's not a we type of argument or conversation. It seems like a you against me kind of thing. And so that's where I would say, like you said, yeah, should I force her or you know, to move there? That's, you know, that's not going to be the solution. You might feel good, but it's not going to be good for you. And I, I'm not saying, you know, people say happy wife, happy life, but I don't like that making it that simplified, but unhappy wife, unhappy life, and unhappy husband, unhappy life. You know, if either of you is really miserable right. with where you are, it's not going to be good for either of you. So it, I hope you guys can shift the narrative and maybe in other ways you guys do this, but when it comes to this location into a we type of thing, yes, it might be a place that one of you prefers more than the other, the other one dislikes. But now that we're here, wherever it is we decide to be, we're going to try our best to make it work together as a team, as a unit, do what we need to do to settle in, to connect, make friends. Of course, right now with COVID, it does affect a lot of the social types of things, but just overall being in it more together. Because I feel even in the when you talked about these things, it was like you were alone. I felt it in how you talked about it. It wasn't you and her, and we're dealing with this, is that you are kind of forced to be in this place by yourself, not you know connected to her. And so that's something to think about. Uh, I am past the commercial break, so I'm gonna go um, to bring on someone else, but just a few things for you to reflect on. Okay, thank you so much, good talking to you. Yeah, nice talking to you, take care. Take care. All right, let's go into another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. back studio number three one zero four four one zero five 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 let's go to another caller radio hamra you're on the air hello hi radio hamra you're on the air hello i don't know if we're having some technical issues i can't hear the caller i don't know if the sound is coming through Okay. Hello, caller, are you there? I think the caller is doing dishes, maybe. All right. I don't think no, they, they know they're on. Um, maybe we can put them on hold and, and bring them on later. Caller, are you there? Okay. Hello. I think, I think. Yes, hi. Hi, how are you? 
Good, thanks. Thanks for calling. Thank you for taking my call. Sure. I just have a question regarding the, especially children. You know, the, with the coronavirus, it caused anxiety for everybody in the world, I think. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. then especially for the children, how we can talk to them and explain it to them. He said, okay, this is a buggy, but anyway. And maybe you are a psychologist, you know how we can explain it better. And then, then, for example, you cannot touch the grandma. You have to have social distancing for grandma or grandpa. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the kids, you know, it's hard for them sure. to understand that. It, it and is. Then, and like, yeah. Yeah. How old are your kids? Like five years old. Five. Okay. Um, you know, because of course, with any topic, we're going to talk to anyone, but we're talking about the kids, it's going to be different based on their age, how much we tell them and how we're going to tell them. I agree with you. I think overall, uh, we have more anxiety because anxiety can be caused by uncertainty. And right now, we're living in uncertain times. We don't know when things are going to change back, what's going to happen, how we're going to be affected. Uh, how many people are going to die and be you know affected by this so there's a lot of uncertainty which makes everyone feel more anxiety what's going to happen when it comes to our work and financial things and economic situations so we know that that's there and it's going to affect our kids too so we do want to acknowledge that part that our kids will probably feel that anxiety and they'll feel more anxious too and we can't completely keep it from them um, it's going to happen. And also, you know, they're not going to school. They know something is going on. And so you can explain it to them. You, you want to be careful, especially with a five-year-old. You don't need to get into too much detail uh, about what's going on and how many people are dying and any kind of detail like that. But you can say, right now, we're trying to make sure we, we don't want to get sick. And, you know, when we get sick, we can give it to each other. So we're just trying to, let's say with grandma, we have to, we can play with grandma, but we have to play this way. We can't, we, we hug and kiss her usually, but right now we're not going to hug and kiss her, even though we're all okay, but just because that's what we're doing right now. So I, I would explain it in a way that doesn't make it sound too scary and intensify it and be ready that they are going to have questions and so i can't obviously tell you how to answer every question your child tells you but you want to be aware that you can let them know a little bit about what's going on because they're going to notice why aren't we going here why aren't we going there i can't go to the playground or whatever else it is that's changing for them and so you can let them know that it's going to be for a short time i know we don't know exactly when so you don't give them a date that it's going to be ready or in one week we'll be able to go to the park um, but you can let them know in a way that just recognizes we're doing these things because we can get sick you don't have to talk about dying and those kinds of things but getting sick you can get like a cold and uh, and just keeping it more in that way that's why we don't go to school right now but then again someday we will go to school and then be ready for the questions that are going to probably come so you mean don't talk about to the kids that people maybe die with this disease? I mean, you know, in general, I don't think you. I don't think getting with a five-year-old, you need to talk about dying so much. You can talk about sick. Um, I I think that you don't need to get into that level of 
talking about death and people die or like scaring them that, oh, we're not going to hug grandma so she doesn't die or something. You know, we don't need to scare the kids in that way. I would keep it more about getting sick when they're five years old. As they get older, yes, they'll understand people can. You can let them know, let's say if you have like a nine, 10 year old child, they, they understand that people can die from this. And that's why we're being careful to make sure we don't spread uh, right now this sickness that is there. And so that's why we're cleaning things and, you know, whatever it is that you do as they get older. But with a five-year-old, I don't think you need to talk about death and like, you know, we're not hugging grandma so she doesn't die because then you're, you're just going to introduce to your child's head this idea that grandma's about to die. And so they hear that part of it more than they understand about viruses and illness and how it affects people differently. I wouldn't get into the dying part when it comes to talking about, let's say, grandma. Yeah, you're right. I didn't talk about the dying, but, you know, the kids going to hear from, you know, the people that are talking to each other. They're going to hear that and they feel it for sure. But That's true. They might hear it. And, you know, another thing is about the news. Uh, I think, you know, a lot of times we just leave the TV on and our kids are around. But, you know, the news is not meant for a five-year-old kid. You know, they, he, they don't need to be hearing uh, the statistics and uh, the things that are going on. So if you want to watch the news, I would say if you have a five-year-old, don't watch the news in front of them in general, but especially when it comes to something like this, because they're going to hear certain things. Oh, yeah, deaths and you know, different, oh, you know, 300 new deaths in this city, whatever, you know, the numbers are, and they just hear the dying part, and that's going to scare them in a way that they don't need to know about. They don't need to know the detail. In general, I'm the type of person that likes to be open and honest with kids and be transparent, but there is a level of information that is good and another level that can get to the point where it's just going to harm them and make them think about negative things and not really give them anything as far as the information is adding some value to them understanding the situation. So I wouldn't get into that. You're right. They might hear about dying and death. And so you might have to have some conversations, but be aware of what you're exposing them to. The news is not something uh, they need to be hearing. Yeah, thank you. And the other thing, for example, you see the grammar. Because grandma comes and wanna sing, but they cannot, you know, because of social distancing, and the kids doesn't realize it. They bring something for grandma to eat, or it's just, you know, it's kind of like uh, make it uncomfortable because the kids doesn't know that, you know, social distancing or, you know how to do it, and then grandma has but, to leave because, you know, yeah. just like a couple but, of minutes and then see the kid and then go because the kid just bring something <laughs> to her to eat or, you know. Well, that's stuff. why I mean, I, I would talk to your, you know, your child before, say, okay, grandma's coming, but, and you can even turn it in some kind of a game when they're that young, like five. So we're going to play a game where today we're not going to do any hugging or kissing we're going to see from far away, can we wave at grandma some way? Can you sing a song for grandma? You know, you can try to change that and let him know. And, you know, yeah, it's very sweet. He wants to take her food or he wants to give her something, wants to give her a hug, kiss. These are all very sweet things. And you can even tell him, oh, it's so nice. You want to take something for grandma. But, you know, right now we can't take food for each other. We're playing a different kind of game or somewhere where you can make it a little bit less 
intense. He doesn't need to, again, know, oh, we're worried you're going to give the virus to grandma. You know, we don't have to make it that type of um, a dark f- mood with it. So you don't talk say about that it. we give the buggy to the grandma. You can you say, can say I mean, you can say, oh, we could give it. You know, if you say it in a light way and it seems like he's okay with it, that can be fine. But, you know, I would let him know before he even comes about that and maybe turn it into some kind of, okay, we're going to see grandma. What's a song you can sing from grandma? from here or something, you know, and, and let him know what it's going to be like going into it so he doesn't get into those situations where you have to stop him as he's going towards her or he does something, you know, you let him know because of, yeah, the buggy, we can, if that's, if you've already used that word with him, you can't take that away, that's fine, but you can let him know because of that, we have to stay here, what's a way you can, let's say, play with grandma from far away or can you show her one of your drawings or one of your toys from far away or something where you turn it into a little bit of a game and he still might you know in the moment go up to her or want to and you have to just remind him and you know we don't want to make him feel bad it makes sense he wants to go be close to grandma uh, especially he's probably used to that so we understand that we don't want to make him feel bad but we might have to let him know or redirect him. Be like, okay, oh, we have to remember we have to stay this far. Even you could put some tape or something on the ground, and Grandma stands on the other one. You know, if you at that age especially, you could try to turn it to a game rather than this uh, really sad situation where because of this buggy we can never get close to Grandma or something bad. It, it could at least lighten it a little bit, where you still the effect is there, where you don't violate the social distancing or the physical distancing but you can still make it be fun for him so he's not feeling really down about the situation mm-hmm. and why sometimes they keep like blinking what what is the reason they like what blinking blinking like their eyes sometimes yeah really i don't know what you mean by you mean he does it like for fun or he does it I'm not sure if I understand. Like you're saying, he closes his eyes or does one at a time? No, blinking. B. I'm, I'm still missing the word. B L I. Maybe I'm here. B L I N K I N G. Yeah, yeah. Like so, his eyes. Yes. Blinking his eyes, like one at a time or both at the same time. No, just he doesn't do it anymore. But he was doing a couple of times, like blinking the eyes. Like, okay. I'm not sure. Well, there's sometimes where people can have ticks. I don't know if that's what you're talking about, where they blink, let's say, really hard or really fast, or they do it over and over again. There could be sometimes signs of, like, let's say, a tick or signs of anxiety or anger related to that. But also, I don't know, you said it, the way you said it, I couldn't tell if it was he does it as a playing or a game. Um, kids do stuff like that too, so I'm not sure. But sometimes it could be, you know, depending on what it is, it's hard to say just just when you say blinking depends on how much and the way he's doing it. It could be a sign of something. I wouldn't, if he stopped doing it, then it seems like maybe either it was something minor or he was doing it in some kind of playful way. Um, But sometimes blinking can be part of motor tics and things like that. But if it went away, then it seems like nothing you need to worry about. Yeah, it went away. Anyway, just... Thank you so much for sure. explanation, but it's hard, it's very hard to say, you know. It is hard, and that's the thing, is to keep in mind, it's going to be hard, so it's not going to be 
you know, like you said, it's more anxious. Yeah, he's going to be more anxious. You're more anxious. And sometimes we have to accept that reality that we can't make it easy. We try to make it less bad or easier, but it's it's gonna it's a challenging time. And so don't think that you have to do something to make it completely easy for him or painless. It's a tough time and, and you know, everyone's going through it and we're going through it together. We're just trying to make it l the least bad we can. So it, it's a challenge, but hopefully you will get through it uh, as hopefully the rest of us will too. Hopefully. Thank you so much, Dr. Thank you. Nice day. talking to you. Have a great day. Take care. All right. Let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 3104410555. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 3104410555. I wanted to talk about relationships and an important aspect of what we do and our mindset in a relationship. So in the uh, book I read a few weeks ago called Eight Dates by John Gottman, Julie Schwartz Gottman, and the Abrams, um, there was a part that stood out to me related to infidelity and they said that almost always, I think they might have even said they think always, before infidelity happens, before there's unfaithfulness, before that, there's something they called negative comparisons or negative comps, where the person in the relationship compares their partner to others in a negative way, meaning um, other people, oh, this person is more attractive than my partner, this person it has a better personality, doesn't nag, doesn't do this, doesn't do that. But there's ways that we start to compare our partner to other people in negative way. And it makes sense that doesn't mean it's going to have to lead to some kind of unfaithfulness or infidelity, but that it's going to have a big negative impact on how you feel and on the relationship. And it's interesting because part of why now it's hard to say we do this to give ourselves this pass but when you compare yourself to your partner to other people in a negative way and feel like oh look how bad my partner is or poor me my partner is so this way or that way it can almost make us feel like we're justified to be unfaithful well you know my partner's so mean of course i deserve to be someone who makes me feel good or my partner is so this way, I deserve to have someone that doesn't act in that way or doesn't look that way or whatever the thing might be. So we can see how it's a very dangerous headspace to be in when we start looking and comparing our partner to others. Um, because once we've chose our partner, picked someone to be with, rather than trying to make our partner better or be someone different, we have to try to make our relationship better. You've picked this person, and of course, breakups and divorces are there for a reason. If things get really bad, if it's not healthy, if it's toxic, if it's really um, getting to a place that's hurting both people, of course, relationships can and should end. But before you get to that point, you should be trying your best to make it work with that person. And that means you have to accept your partner as they are and who they are and not compare them to other people. Uh, when you compare your partner to other people, of course, you can find someone more anything than your partner, more handsome, beautiful, wealthy, smart, funny, nicer, uh, more educated, because of course, everyone uh, you meet is not number one on probably any category in the world. So you can always find someone that's better 
in that way. Just like the same is true about you. You're not going to be the most handsome or beautiful, smartest, richest, whatever the thing might be. You're not any of those things either. We don't pick a partner because they are number one in the world in everything or even in one thing. We pick someone that we feel we are a good match with, that we feel that we can create a good relationship. If we want to create a good family, we can do that together. But you find someone you love and fall in love with, and when you pick that person, then that's your person. If you're going to look for something that they are, have a shortcoming in, of course you're going to find that. Just like if you look at yourself, you'll find that too. And so actually that is sometimes part of the issue is we have that mindset with ourself. We are constantly comparing ourselves to others and not feeling good, which very often can be because our parents did that to us or gave that, us that feeling that they were comparing us to others, that we never were quite good enough, um, that we were looking for some way to be better, to get their love, get their approval. And so we carry that for how we look at ourselves, but then also we take that with our partner. Why is my partner not more beautiful, more this, more that, more whatever it is, rather than seeing them for who they are, loving them for who they are and accepting them as they are. What's interesting is when people uh, are in a relationship for a long time, many of the things that initially attracted them to their partner, those same characteristics, or sometimes what we can call the flip side of that characteristic, is something they start to dislike or even hate about that person. So for example, if you are someone who always does things by the book, is very reserved, plans everything in advance, uh, doesn't like surprises or things that are spontaneous, sometimes you'll be drawn towards someone who is very free-spirited and spontaneous and just does things and, and could be okay with it and accepting of it. And you're attracted to that for a few reasons. One is you have that part of your personality yourself, but you are out of touch with it. So through your this potential partner, you get in touch with that. It does create a kind of balance if you feel like you could be too rigid, that might make you feel good. But the part that starts to backfire is over time, you might now, instead of calling that person free-spirited, you might call them irresponsible or that they never are organized or plan things or stick, stick to their plan. And so very often the thing that attracts us to our partners or some of those qualities are the same things we start to dislike over time. And we have to try to become aware of that to recognize, you know what, I was attracted to them for this, or I picked them because they are that way. And so I need to accept them as a whole person that has good and bad, that even some of the good qualities have a side to them that I don't like and realize that this is your person, this is your partner, and I have to accept all of those things that make them who they are, not just try to change them, ex not accept them or compare them to someone else. This is your person. So when we pick a person, we pick a person with some good qualities, but of course we pick someone who has flaws too. So we pick a set of flaws. And then between you and that person, you pick a set of problems. You're going to have some issues with your partner no matter who you're with. Yes, maybe if you were with the person who was more patient, you wouldn't have the same issues you have with your impatient partner. But then with that person, you would have some other issues. And so essentially we're trying to find 
who's the person who has the positives that I really like and I want to be with and whose negatives that everyone is going to have I can handle and the negatives that me and that person together create are okay, are manageable for me, won't make me miserable. But there's going to be problems, there's going to be flaws, and, and we have to make sure we recognize that and accept that. If we have an idealized view of love, if we have an idealized view of relationships, that we, have, we find a partner that's our soulmate and everything fits just perfectly, or we have uh, true love means that you don't have problems, you don't have issues. These are really dangerous beliefs to have because then when you're facing real life and you have a real partner who has real good qualities but also has flaws, you're going to think, oh, something is wrong here. My soulmate shouldn't have flaws. Or if you have arguments or disagreements or keep having the same issues come up, you think, oh, this must not be true love because I'm not feeling happy all the time. We're having fights and we're having arguments. Something must be wrong here. I should break up and be with someone else. And the interesting thing is when you think about someone else, even someone maybe you know, someone from work, someone you flirted with, you don't have any problems with that person yet because you're not close to them and don't have a relationship with them. So very often people fool themselves into thinking, you know what, if I was with that person, I would be good. They wouldn't be nagging me or bothering me or getting mad at me like my partner. I don't have any issues with them. And so we get drawn into that fantasy of that person we're not close with because without that closeness, we haven't seen their flaws and we haven't faced the difficulties and issues we have with that person. So it's very important for us first internally to accept our own flaws and give ourselves that space to be human and be imperfect as we all are, and then definitely to give that same level of acceptance to our partner. I see you. I see the wonderful, beautiful, good things about you. I do also see the flaws. We don't pretend like they're not there, but I can accept you whole as this whole person who has good and bad parts, who has some things I love, has some things I don't like, but I can live with that. And then once I've done that, now I can focus on making our relationship better rather than complaining about who you are or just trying to change you. I can try to focus on seeing what I can do to make the relationship better rather than how can you change to become something better. So it's important to focus on our love and not our, our love as in our relationship rather than our love as in the other person and trying to change them. All right, let's go to another commercial break. Studio number 310-441-0555. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Tulakwi. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Studio number 310-441-0555. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Radio Hamra, are you there? Hello? Hello? Yes. Hi. Hi. Welcome. I can hear you now. Go ahead. Farid? Yes. Hi, Farid. How are you? Good, thank you. So, uh, reason for the call today is a relationship with my brother. Okay, go ahead. I'm a 24-year-old male. I have a twin brother. Mm -hmm. And him mm -hmm. and I have sort of had a 
rocky relationship throughout our our uh, 25 years here on Earth and through some of the stuff we've went through, and we fight a lot. And we are coming to a time now where him and I are moving out of our parents' house and moving into a condo together in quarter four of this year, and we fight almost every day. And I would like some advice on how to uh, sort of mitigate this. Okay. Um, so obviously moving in together could be a risk if you're saying you guys have such a rocky relationship. Uh, you know, and you said moving out. I thought I actually could be good. Um, I'm not saying you guys shouldn't move in together, but yeah, you guys got to be ready that it's might even get, it could get better. It could get worse having your parents not there could affect things. But if you guys are not able to come to a better place together, likely things won't go well. Give me a, a good sense of when you say you guys have a rocky relationship, what do you guys fight or fight about? Um, tell me a bit more about what's going on between you and your brother. Well, we are very competitive in nature. We've always sort of competed against each other. I remember, and we fight a lot physically and otherwise. I am much more of a physical fighter, and he's much more of uh, a put put me down and make fun of me kind of guy. So I remember first one of the biggest fights we ever had was uh, in grade 12. He beat me on the chemistry test, and we had a big fist fight outside of our house on the way home when he informed me we beat him, uh, or I beat him, or he beat me, sorry, on the test. Uh, okay. Some other things are he, we don't take advice from each other. So I often tell him that he's too negative, and almost all the things he says are very negative throughout the day. If I'm watching a movie, he'll come in and make fun of my choice of film or, you know, uh, be very he'll critique a lot and, and say lots mm -hmm. of bad things and ask me why I'm watching this, or that may be the same for a TV show. And then 10 minutes later, he'll be in his room singing the theme song of that TV show happily to himself, whereas mm -hmm. I get the, the negative put down, and he, he benefits from the you know happy tune of the theme song. Yeah. Also, uh, on Mother's Day, I texted him in the morning. I said, let's not fight today. Let's not yell or do any sort of, you know, uh, fighting with each other for Mother's Day. Uh, it's just me and my brother and mom here living at home. And I think I came out at around, sometime in the afternoon, like at around noon for us to come and sit down to eat together. That was the first time we spoke that day. And it took maybe two minutes before he started yelling that I was being annoying and that I wasn't being funny by trying to do a prayer before we ate food, because we don't normally do that. And that mm -hmm. was two minutes into us seeing each other. And the next day, when it was just him and I at home, I told him how negative he was that day. That was one of a couple instances where he, he just wouldn't stop complaining or being negative or uh, making fun of the sauce I used at the, at, at the table to eat. And when it was him and I the next day, I said, you were very negative and you only had one job to not do that. And you did it. You broke that rule within the first two minutes. And he kept saying it's in the past, and I'm not, you know, why don't you look at yourself and uh, all the bad things you do and, and the critiques there. And and, he, and I said, I know that on Mother's Day I did hit him on the head, and I apologized for that the day of. And I said, I'm waiting for you to apologize to me um, for what you did yesterday, and he never did. So that's just sort of a taste. Do you have any other questions, Dr. Halaki? No, I mean, that's, uh, you gave me a lot there. Obviously, you know, 25 years is going to be so much, but, you know, that gives me some ideas of things that are going on. Clearly, there's a lot of uh, 
anger and resentment between the two of you. In general, we do see sibling rivalries where siblings might be competing with each other in some direct and indirect ways. It seems like you feel like you have the physical edge. He feels like he has like an intellectual edge. Uh, but even with saying that, it's like this competition to be better than the other person rather than being okay, you know, you're you, he's him, and both can be good and fine. You don't have to have a winner and a loser, a good and a bad. You can both be good as you are. And twins also, you know, can have more of this type of rivalry in that there can be more of a direct competition, obviously being exactly the same age. Um, are you guys identical or fraternal? Identical. Identical. So even more with that, you know, having a sense of individuality, because as an individual, we want to shine in a certain way, to be good in a certain way. So, of course, when we have someone that looks just like us and we're, we're the same in so many ways, being our own individual self can be even harder to do. And so we might look for ways of being good and especially against each other, being the better one out of the two of you rather than both of you being good. Um, I do, of course, want to, and, and you know, he mentioned something about seeing your side, and the only way things will get better in any kind of relationship is for both people to acknowledge how they've contributed to wherever you are. You know, you both have contributed to the type of relationship you have together, and both of you will have to contribute to making it better. It won't happen just by one of you um, changing, and one of you is not the only problem. It's both of you. I'm wondering, though, your your mom, how do you see her in all of this does she uh how has she handled it in general and maybe even we could see if there's ways that she either contributed or made things better in some way how would you see her role in the dynamic between you and your brother um she's stopped fights between us mm -hmm. obviously she she gets in the middle of it when we were in high school and stuff but i don't feel like either of my parents ever uh, made it clear that we were not on the, we were on the same team. We were sort of always just competing against each other, and no one told us otherwise. And I've realized recently how uh, competitive we are. Like we're, mm -hmm. I almost feel like if one wins, the other loses. Um, I I often I don't know. There's I'm really sort of not. I, I don't think she really has got involved at all. To be mm -hmm. honest. Okay. In the relationship, never, never like no. Neither parent has told us to stop competing with each other. That was never something they brought up. Yeah, which could be good to do is stop competing, but also and also parents have a, a uh, even before the the conflict or in trying to reduce that level of sibling rivalry and competition, trying to make sure both kids feel good about themselves, that both kids don't have this feeling that they have to try to you know, shine in a certain way to get the attention of the parents. So I don't know if you felt that in any way. Did you ever feel like the parents, either one of them favoring one, one or the other one or contributing to the sense of competition in any way between you two? Um, no, I don't think favoring. They did always sort of put us in the same subject mm -hmm. and like made us, you know, always gave us the same clothes but different color. And mm -hmm. there was never any personal, they, they never really encouraged, like, going your own way. They sort of just was, were like, you guys are both going to be doctors. And they put us in the same program. Yeah. And then 
you know, when we're in this, all the same classes and doing the same thing, and we you, you start to get competitive when one person gets a, a better mark on them. And not neither of us are even in the medical school track. I, I, we both are in engineering now. We both switched out to our own mm-hmm. fields within that. We were just sort of put there. And that, that was, um, that, does that answer your question? Yeah, that gives me some, you know, idea of that. And there is, I think, for all kids in general and siblings, we want to give them one space to make their own choices. And then two, especially with twins, to give them some level of uh, space to create their individual selves to, to get in touch with who they are and figure out who they are. And so a lot of times I know parents with twins do dress them alike or something matching or whatever it might be. And it might think, you know, it might look cute or you might think it's looks nice in some way, but we want to give kids from a young age, that sense that you are your own person. And so maybe you and your brother, especially being identical twins and with how your parents were, didn't really get a lot of that on top of not just that you weren't different, but you also didn't have a total say in what you were going to do. For example, you're both going to be doctors, not uncommon for Middle Eastern families, but still um, there is a bit of a you have even less of a sense of self when you're told this is who you're going to be. This is who you are. You're just like each other. And so I, I could imagine that contributed to this tension between uh, your brother and yourself and trying to find yourselves and be good and and be someone who deserves the type of attention you probably wanted. But you're always like, you know, we're forced to be like each other. So um, these dynamics probably go back to your early childhood. And it seems like you both harbor a lot of anger and resentment towards each other. So I get your brother thinking, you know, we that was in the past, let's move forward. But I don't think until you guys look at the past and try to resolve some of those disagreements and that pain that you will be able to move forward. Just, you know, we can't just forget pain. It doesn't go away when we don't deal with it. And so if you and your brother don't face those things, I don't think it's likely you'll be able to have a good relationship together. Well, what do you suggest? Yeah. Well, on, I think on you know. You, level, on a, I think it's that you know you'll have to talk to him, and um, it when things are calm, so not after a fight or when things are still tense, and have a conversation with him. It's going to be conversations. It's not going to be like one talk is going to solve everything. First of all, he has to be willing to have it. If he just says, I don't want to talk to you, I, I don't want to have it, you can't force him. But you can let him know that you want to try to make things better between the two of you. And you could start by acknowledging your side. It seems like you said you did that, let's say, on Mother's Day when you hit him. Um, but just in general, in the dynamics that, you know, I, I know there's a lot of things I've done to contribute to our relationship being where it's at and even trying to find some common ground that probably he would agree he's not happy with how things are between the two of you too so you're both in the same place and you both want the same thing is for things to be better together not better like one of you wins and the other one loses um, but that you guys can try to make things better. My guess is there is all this tension and negativity, but there's probably a lot of goodness and especially potential for you guys to be there for each other too. That would be nice. So it, it could be good to bring it up to him, not in a way of, by the way, you've been a jerk all these years or look at all these things you did wrong, um, but trying to talk about how you're both unhappy with how things are. You've both contributed to how things got to be where they are. And we both have to be involved in trying to make it better 
together. A lot of people won't tolerate this kind of a conversation, I understand, so it might have to be baby steps or he might not want to have it at all, but I hope he'll be open to that, especially with the two of you moving in together. That um, could be a huge strain on any relationship, but if things are already bad, then it's just the two of you, it could get pretty ugly, and I don't think either of you want the way you describe it, like this constant fighting, constant um, tension that is there. And I think for yourself to also realize this feeling that it does seem like you're really trying to compete with him to, to be better than him, and he, he seems to be doing it too, and that you both can be good as you are, whatever it is that you are. You don't need to be better than him to be good in, on any quality or overall in any way. You need to just be you, and that's good enough itself. You don't have to beat him. Um, I'm definitely, uh, I, try, I try to have those. We've had some conversations in the past where sure. I, I initiate, hey, let's start a constructive conversation. And uh, there's some usually some friction on his side. He's more of a bottle it up type person. I'm more of, uh, I just try to open and talk with my feelings, hence mm -hmm. why I'm doing that here. But uh, I, I find that we find those are usually few and far between. But, mm. um, I want some advice sort of on uh, a day-to-day. -day. If uh, Often we'll have little arguments where he'll just sort of choose a time to be negative when it's convenient to him, and I usually become infuriated by this, and mm -hmm. I immediately will start to yell. And I'm usually blame I usually call it a reaction is my justification. It's like uh, I'm not doing these things out of, just my you know out of random acts or choices mm -hmm. of becoming mad it's usually a reaction to a stressor which is his uh consistent negativity can you give me some uh advice on a day-to-day -day sure sort of how i can well, sort of not freak out and also beg him to not do these little uh convenient acts of ridiculous negativity and passing yeah. comments or bringing down the mood always mm -hmm. well you know it's, it's complicated because of course we're talking about you and him so trying to you know you said how could i get him to do this less that's always going to be hard uh, to make him change his behavior especially if he doesn't want to but it does seem like there is this um negative dynamic between you and him where at least for you it feels like he's trying to hurt you you know he just comes in and it's not just like he's giving a critique because he wants to share what he thinks about the tv show or the movie you feel like he's trying to hurt you and that is because of this underlying dynamic of negativity resentment between you you and him so for that to change it probably will take some time there's nothing i can say if you say this you'll stop doing it now from your side i understand you're saying you are reacting to him um but still whatever the case may be you're still responsible for your reactions you know so you can't say he did this and then i i burnt the house down so it was his fault what you decide to do with your feelings whatever they are is going to be your responsibility so if you are to me if you're physically hitting him i'm not saying he didn't do anything wrong but that's going to be crossing a line that's always going to end up in a worse place so you're responsible for not hitting him not he has to not say anything that makes you hit him 
you know um and that again i'm not saying he's not doing things that are wrong he he isn't wrong in what he's doing but your reaction is something that's 100 percent up to you and i want you to own that side of what happens in things um but as far as telling him when you're upset in general what can help is to make sure we're being more specific and to talk about our feelings more than talking about why the person is wrong. You know, sometimes people will say, oh, you're being negative and being negative is one of the worst qualities we can have and you shouldn't be that way. And there could be some truth to that, but rather than going there and then of course the person is going to get defensive or offensive and come back at you. If you talk about, you know, when, when you say those things, it really makes me sad, you know, or I, I was trying to watch the show and I was enjoying it when you said that it hurt my feelings. And so if you make it more about your feeling rather than his action, it possibly can lead to him hearing it a different way. You know, you have to also be ready that if you guys have certain dynamics in place and how you communicate, changing those is going to take some time. You know, he's going to expect you to react the same way. It's almost like you have a script and you're going to say your part, he's going to say his part. And so even if you don't say your part, initially he probably will still say his part the same way. So change in these types of entrenched, long-term negative types of relationships, it takes time. And so you have to be ready for that. Um, but we do have to think that if you keep doing the same thing over time, it's going to stay the same way. But if you make some changes, it could lead to some something different. So I would be very specific in your feedback to him when you're upset and make it about you, not him. I am hurt. I feel this way. Um, uh, this hurts my feelings. So I want to share that with you. And um, hopefully you and him have a chance to have some conversations. What people sometimes do with these really important conversations is they have them at the wrong time, meaning if you and him are in the middle of a fight, it's not going to be a good time. It does seem like you've approached him at other times too. So just something to keep in mind. Um, and then also, you know, the day-to-day -day you, you've mentioned a few times, you can't just become unangry. You know, I can't tell you do this and you won't be angry anymore because it does seem like you have a lot of anger towards him. And so until you are able to either deal with that on your own or with him, it's not just going to go away. You know, he could probably say one thing that if someone else said to you, um, you wouldn't react to. But if he says it, it's going to just set you off because of yeah. all of this, uh, you know, the stuff between you and him. So that's just, you know, it's I know you want the day to day type of solution, but it's going to take some time. And especially I would bring it up to him again in a a we type of way. Look, we're planning to move in together. And I think we both aren't happy with where our relationship is at. So I just think, you know, again, making it about we not and if you can stop being so negative, things will be better, but we can do better than what we're what we're experiencing. And hopefully get to a better place. I even am you know, hesitant. When you talk about moving in together, it could be disastrous the way you're describing things. I'm hoping it can get better. But um, I would take these next few months before you move in to really try to make things better between you and him so that that won't be such a bad idea and things can actually work out. Okay. Thank you, doctor. Sure. Good luck. Nice talking to you. Today. Oh, yeah. My pleasure. Yeah. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you. All right. Let's go into our last commercial break. You're listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulakwi. We'll be right back.
back. Let's go to another caller. Radio Hamra, you're on the air. Hello. Uh, hi, Dr. Farid. Hi, yes, um, thanks for calling. Are you able to hear me well? I, I can hear you fine. Go. Okay, excellent. Um, first of all, I want to thank you uh, very much and uh, uh, Dr. Holakwi, the father, for helping us uh, Iranian and, uh, in your case, uh, people from America and all the other countries because I've had friends that I've talk to them about your program and they're so happy because you have them. So oh, thank, thank you, you so much for everything you're doing. Thank you very um, much. We appreciate I, that. I have a um, question for you and that's about my uh, son-in-law. Okay. Uh, do we ha- it's a little long uh, story that I'm trying to explain to you. Um, do we have like about 10 minutes? That's right. We have about, yeah, 10, 11 minutes before we got to get off okay. the air. So okay. as much as you want to tell me um, so that I can also give you some feedback. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm so sorry. For some reason, I don't have your voice very well. Oh, can you uh, hear me right now? Uh, still, uh, it's, still very, not so. it's not loud enough. Okay. I'll try to speak as loud loud as I can without yelling, but hopefully you'll be able oh, to hear sorry. me. Okay. Uh, thank you. All right. Um, my, I have only one child. My daughter is uh, married, and now she has three children. But about six years ago, when she got married, uh, and when she was planning to get married, um, I was not at all agreeing with that. Uh, and I raised her as a single mom. Um, she was very, very smart. Got accepted at UCLA uh, on her student. And... Uh, but what happened uh, while she was going for uh, second year, uh, she met uh, this uh, guy who is now my son-in-law um, during the school time. And then they met, and I found out that she was, he was uh, Mormon, although at that time I didn't even know who Mormon was, but later on I studied about it. So um, I was 100% not agreeing to that, but what I did, I talked to him and I talked to his mom. He doesn't have a father. Um, since he was nine years old, the father got in car accident. So uh, I told them both the truth that my daughter, um, first of all, she was only 18 and a half, and um, uh, it's a wrong time to be married. Second of all, uh, um, from Iran, we we know we want to know the family, um, both sides. So because we really uh, are close to our son-in-laws or our daughter-in-laws, so we want to know each other before any decision. I don't know any of you. I don't know about the culture, nothing. So let's wait at least a year or maybe longer, so they know it because it was only uh, four months that they had met. So, and he decided to propose to to my daughter. So it's a long story, but mm-hmm. what happened, um, uh, I did my best talking to the family, explaining to them, um, you know, who, what everything is, why I feel this way. It's not that I don't like them. I believe that they need to know each other a lot longer. Uh, and also, I like to know 
you guys, and I think you have every right to know us. So, well, let me stop you there for a second. Because, sure. I mean, already I get the feeling of you being too involved with the decision. You know, you can make a suggestion that they take more time. I think that's good. Just a few months is not enough. But you and getting to know the family for a year to need that time to get to know the family to me seems like it's not necessary or is not really part of that decision. Because again, your your daughter makes that decision. You you could want to get to know the family better and get to know the the potential son-in-law better, but not because you, and the way you say it is as if you want to know better so you can make the decision rather than getting to know them. So I do think a few months is not enough time, so they should have spent more time. But there's a way you're talking about it as if you are part of the decision-making almost as much as your daughter is that already can seem, you know, like you're overstepping a bit. But anyway, I could see you were I concerned. Understand. Yeah, okay. I understand. But what I meant was not that maybe I came up like that while I'm talking. Uh, what I meant was it's better that they know each other longer and we know each other as families longer, but maybe I did not say it in the right way, and maybe that they got the feeling. Although his mom, at the end of the talk, it was like about an hour of talk, she said, well, they're in love. And I said, uh, at this age that they are, uh, love is more oxytocin and all kinds of other hormones. And I referred her to, you know, doctor, a few doctors that they talk about that on YouTube. But I understand where you're coming from. Maybe I did talk the way that I Yeah, I mean, because even, look, there's a difference... There's a difference between I'd like to get to know you better as the family. You know, the way it comes off is that you're trying to evaluate them, not just get to know them. That's the sense I got from how you said it and probably what they felt. And, and you know, she's saying they're in love. Now, that's for them to say what they're feeling. But for you to say, no, they're not in love, it has to be oxytocin. I mean, oxytocin is also going to be involved when people fall in love. It's not just a, a fake thing. Um, if someone has oxytocin. So nonetheless, I obviously you were not in favor of this from the beginning and that was right. there and you Number already were one, expressing that. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she, she was just going to school, too young, two different cultures. Yes, I, I was not agree. I wanted her to mm -hmm. wait at least two years to know him better. That was, I think, not a, at the age of 18 and a half, almost 19. I don't think it's a good yeah. time to make a decision about long term, you know, of your life decision. But um, anyway, they did make the decision. They did get married. And after the marriage ceremony, I uh, did go to my son-in-law and uh, I said, yes, I was not agree for many reasons. Um, but now you are my son-in-law. I don't have any other child. I have one daughter and now you are my son. And I... Uh, not only my son, is my son. Anyway, so after that, we, we started having good relationship. Things was okay. We're okay. And of course, uh, as you know, Mormon people, they love to have children. So um, now they have three children, and I adore every one of them. I die for the kids, too. <laughs> so everything was going okay. But then, um, uh, you know, I always, and I meant that, what I told him, as uh, that now you're my son, uh, I meant it from the bottom of my heart. I truly did. So, and I still do love him. 
Um, but they started having lots of problems, lots of fights. That is a long story that I won't put with. Um, they went to, you know, counseling, didn't work. Many bad problems happened, very bad ones. Um, so still, I tried to stay away. And uh, I did not say one word that, oh, I, didn't I tell you guys or, or I told you so, none of that. I tried to be careful, find them, you know, counselor and uh, therapies and all that. But I, I still was very, very kind to him from heart. Anyway, so um, now I would say it's about maybe almost uh, eight months that he uh, does not, and nothing happened between us, no fighting, no nothing. He does not answer my my um, uh, text. He does he does not answer my phone call. Um, he does not, uh, you know. He does. It's very disrespectful, as you know. But I don't mean that I need his respect at all. I mean, I'm worried that what could have happened, and and how I could ask him, or should I ask him? That's my main question. That why. You're not answering my phone call or my my text. Can you tell me why? But in between, something that has happened. That but I let me ask you: Why has, are you talking to your daughter about what's going on? No, no, no. I I have not talked to. I haven't even told her that he's not answering my phone call or he's not answering because I didn't want any tension between them. I I have not told my daughter at all. But I I haven't told him either. So I'm asking my question, my main question is is that right thing for me to ask him why you are not answering? Because I want to meet, you know, to see my grandchildren. I adore them. I just don't want to go there and you know, of course I ask before I go and he's unhappy. So I don't know if he's happy or not because I haven't seen them for a few months. But I just don't know if I should ask him this question, uh, that why aren't you answering my calls and my texts? Uh, and if he doesn't answer that again, what should I do? Because nothing happens between us. I've been bar, you know, buying him presents. Yeah, but well, so okay. So I mean, we don't. I, I don't know what happened, obviously. And you can ask him. I wouldn't. Right. I, I don't. Think I, I wouldn't ask him in a why aren't you? It could sound like a judgmental way. You can ask him if you upset him or something. I'm just surprised that oh. not to get your daughter in between you and him because that actually can be not a good thing to make it some right. kind of triangle that he, she's trying to resolve things between you and her husband. But I'm surprised it hasn't somehow come up. If you're saying for months, he just doesn't answer you. Um, right. I, I don't know. But, but, I, but I mean, I'm wondering, did you never ask your daughter about that? I think it's better no. not to get so involved. I mean, you know, the, your son-in-law doesn't want to answer you. It's okay. You guys don't need to have regular communication anyway. Um, Maybe he'll tell you something happened, maybe not. I'm surprised that, you know, if you see your daughter, she, or talk to your daughter, she doesn't say anything. But uh, something seems to be there. You can ask him, but, you know, you have to be ready. You don't want to get, I wouldn't get too uh, involved in a way that he needs to answer you. Or, uh, you know, you can ask if something I did upset you, I wanted to know um, if something happened. But we don't, you know, we don't know. Well, you know, the thing is, we know that he knows that from day one you were against this, even though I know you said the day of the wedding, you said those nice things, which is good. But he probably doesn't have a good feeling about 
you when it comes to you and uh, your you know your daughter and their marriage right. and that you're against it so if they're having fights maybe he doesn't want to be in contact with you because he thinks you're going to be against them being together mm -hmm. and all that stuff so th there's but, there is a but, tension but, but, that's there right so for four years because it's been six years now that they're married for four years and four years and a half maybe more he has been very kind very respectful I have been to him the same. You know, we talk like a mother and son. Uh, so that is why. There is one, one thing that has happened is that my ex, um, who was not at all involved... By the way, I do have to... I, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the time. We have to stop, and it was definitely... There needs okay. to be more time to talk about this. But, you know, it, it, it's your son-in-law, and so I'd try to keep a level of space there. It seemed like you were going to bring in... Um, your ex, and that uh, maybe that complicates. Maybe you can call again next week. We can continue the conversation. But you know, okay. with as an in-law, we always want to be aware of create, keeping space. You're not supposed to. You're, you're just a support. And if they don't even want you there, you have to accept that they don't want you there, or he doesn't want you there. But maybe call back next week. We could talk a little bit more. Give me. You can tell me more I about what happened. I would do that. I would. Okay. Because, Looking you know, forward even to it. His mother-in-law. Uh, I never thought to uh, even say Happy Mother's Day, to, and he didn't. And that's what okay. Makes well, we can. Well, yeah. Well, you know, we'll, we could talk more hopefully next week. But nice talking to you. Have a good day. Hopefully, we'll talk again. Thank you. Same to you. All right. Thank you sure. so much. Thank you. Bye -bye. Thank you. Thank you to all the callers and the listeners, and again to Ghazale in the studio, who's allowing the show to run as smoothly as possible. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dulak. We have a wonderful day.